0: From spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers, hear the creepy side of Diva.
1: Hello and welcome to the Creepy Side of NEPA. I am Dan Kozlowski. Hard to believe another Halloween season is upon us, but here we are, the start of October, one of the best seasons of the year, I may argue. Before we get started with tonight's episode, I'd just like to welcome all new listeners. If you happen to be new to the Creepy Side of NEPA or you haven't had a chance to yet, please like WNEP's Creepy Side of NEPA on Facebook. That is the best way to get all the latest show information. Also, if you have an episode idea or maybe you have a story you would like to share with us, please email us at ghost at WNAP.com. We'd love to hear from you. Joining us tonight is Tim Kelly, creator and guide for Honda Milford's Ghost Walk. Tim, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: You guys are doing a ghost walk this coming Halloween season. I came across it online.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've, I've been doing this. Uh, this will be my ninth year.
1: Ninth year. And is it a, is it a fundraiser?
0: It is. Uh, yeah. portion of the proceeds go to benefit the Columns Museum in Milford.
1: Okay. Now, have you been doing this for a while now?
0: Yeah, this is, uh, we began in 2015.
1: Okay. So you've been doing this for quite a number of years then. Yeah.
0: So is this yeah, something,
1: I mean, an interest of yours? Have you been collecting these stories across the area?
0: So, yeah, I mean, I I grew up partially in town. My grandmother lived here, and then I grew up just outside of town where, where my family home was. And, um, you know, I was kind of a, a scared kid. I was, you know, afraid of my shadow at night. <laughs> now we'll see you. <laughs> Right, right. So, you know, one of the things is my, my uh, grandmother, who, who lived up on the Lackawaxen River in Kimballs, and uh, she would take me, especially near Halloween, We'd go out 10, 11 at night and she would take me up to the family cemetery and we would walk through there and she would point out, look, there's nothing to be afraid of. Here's my father. Here's your great grandfather and his grandfather and his grandfather. And you see, there's there's just there's nothing to be afraid of. And so, you know, we would walk through the cemetery at night, uh, which is pretty cool it Was you know, fond memories of that. And then um, as far as Milford goes. My mother grew up, grew up here, and uh, so I grew up just hearing all sorts of stories throughout town. This this house is haunted, or, you know, that place is haunted, or this took place. So, yeah, I've just always been really interested in it.
1: Sure, and the more I talk to more ghost tours and tour guides, it seems like every piece of haunted stories has a little bit of history attached to it.
0: Absolutely. You know, without the history, to me there there is no haunt. You know, right. um, something had to have occurred to to create what you know people are seeing or hearing or whatever's happening. So, what
1: are some of your favorite stories from the Milford area since you've been starting this tour?
0: Okay, well, the the tour itself has really evolved uh, since I began, and a lot of stories have just developed in front of me. You know, I'm sure it, it
1: grew been. since you started, right?
0: It's grown a little bit and I've, and I've added a few more stories, but, uh, you know, I'll have people on the tours, which will add to the stories. They'll add, Oh, you know, this happened here as well. I used to live here and I saw this. So it, it just, it just grew and grew that way.
1: Sure. We had a few people on, I believe, um, a person from our Pottsville area, did a, a tour down in Pottsville. And he was saying the same thing that the tour started as one size, but grew over the years because. Like you said, there's, there's visitors saying they lived here. They had stories from here. If they, Maybe they went to school there. Something happened to them across town. Stuff like that.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and one of the other things, we used to start the tour here. My my wife and I run it and my, my daughter, who was just a, one or two years old at the time. And um, we always had everyone come and get their tickets inside the museum. And uh, we no longer do it inside the museum because some things had happened to my wife while she was here after I had left on the tour that she didn't want to be in here by herself anymore uh, in the museum. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. So she, you know, she told me about one particular night that uh, one of the very first nights, actually, she had gone out to the car to put put some boxes in the car, came back in, grabbed another box, went out to her car. And the car door was locked and it was a Nissan Ultima, which is has like a, a lot of uh, prevention to so that you don't get locked out. Mm-hmm. If you leave your key in there, the door won't lock. Right. Or the door locked and the key was in there and she couldn't get in. So she knew I had a spare key. She went to right. get that when she took a few steps away. You know, she heard the click and she saw the dome light go on. She went over to go back in the car. It still was locked. So then she decided to go back again. When she came back, the car was unlocked. Oh, wow, very uh, strange. Uh, yeah, she's. she said she was about halfway home that night when she realized, you know, that shouldn't have happened. And she got like a, you know, a chill up her back. But she's had a lot of other things happen. Whereas, you know, when she was closing up at night and feeling like breath on the back of her neck, one night a few years back, uh, her and my daughter were here. And this is at the museum ready. you're talking about? At the, yeah yeah I'm sorry I'm, I'm, in oh, the, that's okay. I'm in the museum right now yeah I'm I'm actually here right now figured I'm, I may as well be here for the story.
1: It adds to the so, atmosphere.
0: <laughs> right exactly yeah so uh, what ended up happening is they they had locked up they were ready to go out they hit the lights off when they heard footsteps walk clearly across the second floor and um, you know they were both like let's get out of here and and from that point she won't come back inside at night anymore. So now we do tickets on the front porch.
1: Now, do you guys know of any historical stories that happened at the Collins Museum that may have sparked these hauntings?
0: Well, there, there's uh, one particular room where we have items that had belonged to Charles Peirce and his wife, Juliet. And Charles Peirce was, he's like known as the father of modern pragmatism. You know, he was a contemporary of... Uh, james and just a really brilliant man so we have a lot in the museum on the second floor we have a lot of their belongings and it was after their belongings were were put in that room that people started hearing things noticing things there was a tour here of people touring through the museum you know said oh there's someone you know someone's still in that room and they went back and there was nobody there and that's pretty common where they'll People will catch glimpses of a woman uh, walking around in this room.
1: And it's very interesting. That it all sort of happened after those items were brought into the building.
0: Exactly. And also with my daughter, when I used to come down here to volunteer uh, when she was young, she used to always want to come down to the museum with me because she was always, always talk about the woman that lived at the museum. And we kind of never really paid much mind to it. Until I had started doing the tours, asked her a little bit more about it uh, one particular night because she was we were home and she was out on her swing set. It was getting dark and she was talking to herself. She was having a conversation with somebody. My wife was watching her. So when she put her to bed that night, she said, you know, who were you speaking to out there on the swing? And she said, oh, I was talking to the woman who lives down at the museum. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, a little, uh,
1: little offsetting there.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little creepy. So she asked her, you know, well, what did she say to you or what were you talking about? And she said, "Well, we were we were talking about Daddy's ghost tour." And uh so my wife said, "Well, what did she say about it?" And uh she said, "Well, she really likes the tour, but she does not like when Daddy talks about those witches." She's never been on the tour. She was young at the time. She would have had no idea that I do I do talk about witches on the tour, because there was, which is going, Coven's going back generations here.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there was no way of her knowing that's, that's something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a little, it, it creeped my wife out.
1: Yeah, I would say. And what are some of your favorite stories in the Milford area, outside of the museum?
0: Well... Again, one of the stories that I had always heard growing up was that, you know, the old Milford Jail, there had been an execution there years ago. And, uh, you know, my family would talk about it. So so I did a lot of research into it, spoke to a lot of people and uh, incredibly interesting story. There was a man named Herman Schultz and he lived in Brooklyn, New York. He lived with his wife, Lizzie. Apparently he was not a very, a very good man. He was very abusive to Lizzie and uh, Lizzie became afraid for her life. And so she fled, she fled the city. She came out to Milford. She actually went up to Shahola, which is uh next township over.
1: Yeah. I was and, gonna say uh, Not too far.
0: Not too far. And so she was working at a boarding house there. Well, Herman decided that, you know, he wanted her back. And it so happened that he had a rich uncle in Germany who had passed away, and he inherited $25,000. Now, this was 1896. So
1: that's quite About a quite a sum of money.
0: A lot of money. And so, you know, he went around to friends and family that he, of course, wanted Lizzie to have a portion of this. And So it wasn't long before he figured out where she was. I always say I can't imagine, you know, the horror she must have felt when he came walking in the front door of that boarding house she was working at. But it actually seemed like they were going to work things out because he ended up staying with her that night. They were up on the second or third floor. Uh, She did have her 13-year-old son with her, and they ended up putting him in the hallway, uh, in the room across the hallway, and they spent the night together. Well, in the morning, Herman came down to the breakfast table. When the staff came in, he told them that you know, a horrible event had taken place during the night. His wife had gotten a hold of his revolver, you know, in a fit of depression. She'd shot herself in the head and she was laying on the bed up there. Dead. And so they brought in the constable and uh, or the sheriff. And, you know, he questioned him, believed his story and let him go. We went back to Brooklyn and it happened that his adult sons who were in their 20s, You know, they knew what kind of man their father was. And they actually came out to Pike County, met with the commissioners and let them know that he had burned down a couple warehouses that he had owned for the insurance money. And so the Brooklyn police picked him up on arson charges and then he was extradited back out to Milford, to Pike County, where he was, uh, you know, put on trial. And what was really crazy about this, it gets even it gets a little spooky is that the prosecutor uh was all up on like the new forensics and the new journals, science. Mm-hmm. And so he went up to the cemetery where Lizzie was buried and he dug her up. You know, he had his men lift the coffin up out of the ground, pry it open, and then he kind of lifted her body up and took out a huge knife and just chopped her head right off her body. Ooh. So he took it and put it out in the back of the buggy and they rode back into town and they went over to the courthouse. Can you imagine uh...
1: seeing that just drive right by you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not at all. No. Uh, So yeah, they they ended up taking her head and they put it down in the basement of the courthouse up on a shelf and um, awaiting trial. So when the trial came around, they, uh, jurors were seated listening to all the testimony. Well, it was the prosecutors, you know, I guess, closing arguments. He went down into the basement and retrieved Lizzie's head, brought it up and held the head out in front of all the jurors. Can you imagine what yeah. it must've looked like and smelled like?
1: Yeah. And I, I never heard of something like that ever happening before.
0: No, no, no. So, but what he said to them was, listen, Forensics, this is the newest science. This trajectory of this bullet wound is completely inconsistent with a self-inflicted gunshot. Somebody else had to have shot her. and the only other person there was Herman. And so the jury uh, they bought they bought it. they believed them, the evidence and they found Herman uh, guilty of murder and the judge sentenced him to hang by the neck until dead.
1: And what year was this, his late 1800s? Yeah, that was
0: 1897. So by the time, the execution itself was actually carried in carried out inside the Milford Jail. They, they actually cut a hole in the uh, floor of the attic, and they built the gallows up there. And they had a uh, counterweight type of system where they basically pulled the lever in a heavy weight fell down through that floor on a, on a pulley and then herman who would have been down on the first floor when that weight you know hit that rope mm-hmm. it just jerked him up into the air to break his neck and kill him so that was how it was supposed to work but he had made some adjustments to the rope he actually hanged for about 11 minutes kicking until he finally died
1: well and it sounds like they went through quite a bit of work and said to jail to to make that happen too
0: They did. And it's funny because the uh, counterweight, initially, the sheriff wanted it made out of lead so that after the execution, he could melt them down into one ounce ingots and sell them as souvenirs.
1: I'm not surprised. Over the years, you you do hear some weird stuff like that happening with executions.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, they, they denied that. They denied that. They didn't allow that to happen. But what they did do, what the sheriff did, and, you know, this was 1897, hangings were starting to go out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, since this involved someone from New York, uh, the town was just like uh, the papers say it was like a circus-like atmosphere. There were hundreds and hundreds of people from New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, you know, Scranton, all over the place. And uh, they all come out to witness, you know, this, this hanging. And so after uh, Herman was pronounced dead, the sheriff stood there at the door for, you know, a couple cents, you could go in and, you know, give Herman a poke, watch him swing, come back out to your family and have a picnic out on the, you know, out in the park.
1: Yeah. So strange Yeah, and very creepy.
0: (laughs) Very much. So I've spoken to, um, some of the maintenance workers over the years and different people that have worked in there. And, uh, the one guy particularly, he said that one night he was there, he was the only one in that. In that building, he was sweeping and mopping. The door was locked. When he heard, and the cells are still there in the building, the iron cells. Well, he heard one of these cell doors open up on the second floor. And then he heard what sounded like like footsteps. So he went up there and there was nothing there. And so while he was up there, he then said he heard something up in the attic, which sounded like, you know something very heavy being dragged across the floor, so he was he was pretty spooked out by that,
1: yeah, especially that's that's exactly what it would have been, something heavy upstairs where you said the counterweight would have been
0: exactly and and he probably had no idea about any of that,
1: yeah, that I find that most interesting when the people tell you about their stories and it has something to do with history or the past that they wouldn't have known about exactly, that just sort of makes it more more real, I think,
0: oh yeah. For sure.
1: How about another one of your favorite stories from the area before we wrap things up?
0: Let's see. Well, this one's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one of but it was another family that had moved to Milford probably in the 1990s. And uh, there are there some communities outside of town, and uh, they were having a home built. And so uh, the family, the mother and father, they still, they worked outside of town about an hour or so away. And the daughter, she was a senior in the in the Delaware Valley High School here, and her younger brother was in the elementary school. And so when her parents went to work went to work at night, you know, she kind of took care of her younger brother and got his homework done, got him bathed and ready for bed and all of that. Well, one of the first nights that they were there, you know, she had gotten her brother off to bed, and she was sitting there doing her homework, and she was on on the apartment on the second floor. When, you know, she said all of a sudden on the third floor, you know, it sounded like they were throwing a party up there. And as time went on, the party got louder and louder. And she was like, you know, these guys are getting, you know, really drunk up there. They sounded like they were flipping tables and chairs over and and falling all over the place. And uh, she said it got so loud that she couldn't even sleep. And so by the time the morning came, she was just exhausted. She went to school. And that day when she came home from school, she told her mother, you know, listen, you really need to go talk to our upstairs neighbors because, uh, you know, it's a school night. And they were up all night making all this noise. Kept me up. I'm exhausted. Her mother said to her, no, that is an empty apartment. There is nobody up there at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she said it continued to happen that periodically that to the point that she actually went out and bought headphones and she would have to listen to music to fall asleep so that she would drown out the noise. So this wasn't uh, just long, like a
1: one-time occurrence.
0: No, it wasn't. No, no. It happened periodically to the point that, yeah, it, it really, she couldn't fall asleep. So she would, so she would listen to music, you know, through these headphones. Sure. And, uh, she said when she started doing that, she'd wake up in the morning and her refrigerator door would be wide open. Huh. And, uh. Yeah, bizarre. And then her father, you know, checked the refrigerator, made sure it was level, made sure it was closing properly. There were no issues with it.
1: Right. But and even still, like when you open a refrigerator, it isn't something that opens very freely. You sort of have to give it a tug to get it open.
0: Exactly. Right. You know, that happened several times. And then finally, her mother was, you know, more of a spiritual woman said, you know, let's get out of this place. And they moved into their new home a little earlier than they than they were planning
1: do you know any history of that property of what could have been causing those noises
0: upstairs um, you know I'm not I'm not certain uh, you know I did a little research I couldn't find out anything uh specific that might have caused that but a couple of years ago when I was doing the tour and I had someone on the tour with me and she said oh me and my boyfriend just last year lived in that same exact apartment and uh, she said where the noises okay were
1: I- or were the downstairs yeah. one
0: the downstairs, downstairs one, it's okay. the same apartment that this, that this other girl had lived on and her faith and her family. And she said, you know, do you mind if I tell a little story? I was like, please. And so she said that it had been the year before she was in her mid twenties. Her and her boyfriend were living there and her boyfriend sometimes would be gone at work for a day or two. And she was a little suspicious, you know, why he was gone so much. And uh, she said one morning, She uh, went into the bathroom. She had on like a hoodie, this pocket in the front of it. And as she was brushing her teeth, an old key fell out of her pocket into the sink. And so she had no idea what this key was. And so she just went around the house seeing if it fit into anything. And she found that it actually uh, was the the key to her boyfriend's. He had like a footlocker of some sort. And when she opened up the Footlocker, there were pictures of in there of him and and these other girls, and so that that was the end of it for her, and she ended the relationship. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Same property and everything.
0: Same property. Yeah, yeah. Milford's a neat town. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool history here, going back to the French and Indian War. You know, there's this. A lot of, uh, you know, wealthy Victorians lived here that were into spiritual, you know, spiritual practices and tarot cards and all sorts of things. So Milford's a pretty neat town. And it it sounds like you guys have
1: your fair share of creepy history.
0: We do. We do. I mean, on the tour that I do, I have about anywhere from 18 to 20 stops, depending on time. But, uh, you know, the tour will take anywhere from an hour and a half. And I've gone as long with if, if we don't have a second tour to do and people are interested. I mean, I've gone for two and a half hours even.
1: If anyone was interested in joining you in one of your tours coming up, what are the dates and how would they get tickets?
0: So we do almost every weekend in October. Best way to reach us would be through Facebook. If you were to go to Haunted Milford, a walking ghost tour.
1: And they get all the information for ticket sales on there?
0: They can get all the information right there.
1: Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight, Tim. You had some pretty interesting stories, and it sounds like Milford does definitely have a creepy past. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good night.
0: Thank you. Good night.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Creepy Side of NEPA. Hope you could join us for the next. Until then, enjoy. The Creepy Side of NEPA
0: This has been The Creepy Side of NEPA If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or north central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at wnep.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We're dying to hear from you. <laughs>